Hey everybody, Coach here. Hey, I am coming off of a uh, real trying moment with Amazon. Has any of you guys out there ever had that? <laughs> oh my God. I tell you, between them and UPS, I am about ready to strangle somebody. But that's not what we're talking about here today. We are talking about the American dream. The dream of not just America, but most anywhere. When you have been able to go out and buy yourself a piece of land that you want to put your dream house on. And we are going to talk about landscaping from the very beginning in the correct manner and in a manner that I have seen done incorrectly I don't know how many times. You know, most everybody, they buy themselves a, a two acre, a five acre, 10, 20, 40, whatever it is. And the guys get out there and you walk it and Pretty early on, you kind of decide, here's where we want to put the house. But I have really seen some key components not figured out before new landowners start thinking about where the house is going to be built, which way is it going to be facing, etc. So many key components. And it is landscape-based. It really is. It's landscaping in a nutshell. So without any further ado, let's get this thing started about raw land development. Hey, I'm Matt, you can call me coach. Every Friday I bring with me landscape DIY education, concepts and theories, ideas and solutions, so you guys can go out and tackle a landscape project yourself, get professional results, save a whole lot of money in the process, and in this day and age, be a lot more self-reliant. Man, after a 20 plus year career in the green industry, I'm bringing with me a lot of knowledge and experience that I wanna share with you guys the new, modern, educated, self-reliant homeowner of today. Hey everybody, welcome back. Hey, congrats. If this happens to be you, you bought yourself a piece of land and your dream home is gonna be going on it. Maybe your forever home is going to be built. It is still part of that American dream and I'm sure in other countries as well. Your own land, your own dream home or cabin on it, weekends and vacations, or just your forever home, you know, your, your forever paradise. You have found it. But my experience has shown me some unintentional shortcuts folks have made, even people on YouTube have made, as they begin the development of this raw land. Now, you may not think of site work as landscaping, but it is. It truly is. I covered this a couple weeks ago. Because the definition of landscaping, you are going to be altering the existing landscape and change it, hopefully for the better. Right? Yeah, check out that podcast and that video a couple weeks ago if you want to see the difference between landscaping and gardening. But many folks allow pros to come in and do much, if not all, the work for them. With, with, I got to tell you, with Little to no futuristic thinking goes along with those pros because all they really want is the bare minimum in order to get to where they need to build whatever they're building. So they're not thinking five years down the road, they're thinking five months down the road. And this is where the new landowner, the new homeowner has to step back before you make a hire, before you contract with somebody, and really understand what you need today, a year from now, and five years from now. Some pros, and I worked for one at one time, he was an irrigation installation contractor, and his favorite saying that I learned about a month after being uh, with him was, 
Don't worry about it. We can't see it from my house. And that approach not only is highly unprofessional, but it also goes to show that uh, some contractors, they're there for the dollar. They're not there for the service. And you got, you really have to be careful and it's up to you. The bottom line is you're the ones that are going to be owning it. You're going to the ones that be doing all the things on this dream property. Now for me, I had personal experience with this at Weed Patch Ranch. The donkey, the donkey Kong, also known as the previous owner, drastically, I mean drastically, undersized many, many things and did not give two hoots to futuristic thinking when he developed this land that I bought. And I'll be right up front with you is I didn't see it initially until I was there. And then I realized some of the things that could have been done better. And since we are going to be talking about the top five things I think you should be talking about, I'll let you in on just a little, little one right now. And that is the entrance to your property. The entrance. This guy that I bought the property from had a uh, culvert apron, a culvert bridge, so to speak, made out of concrete. But he only made it large enough for a sedan to get over. And it was only about 12, 12, maybe 14 feet wide. I'm going to say 12 feet wide at the most. Solid as a rock. I'll give him that. It was solid concrete. But oh my God, you know, just turning in there with a pickup and a dump trailer, you had to really pay attention to what the hell you were doing. Or a tire was going to go off the edge. And we're talking about an edge that was 24 inches down into the county run ditch. So, all right, so let's move on. The driveway also at this place that I had was bare minimum, uh, even marginal at best when we moved in. There were bare spots and muddy spots and not much gravel. It's like he almost knew that he wasn't going to be there that long. So here are my top five suggestions when it comes to raw land development. They are in order of importance in my humble opinion. So you ready? Let's get strapped in. Number one, and probably it sets the tone for the rest of your land development. And that is your driveway entrance and probably culvert crossing. Keep in mind the number and size of vehicles and equipment that will be accessing your property if you decide to build. Either your own stuff, could be you know your own truck, your trailer, your RV, uh, flatbed, a boat, it, I mean, whatever it is, you have to allow enough room there where you can make a nice safe turn and you know darn well that everything is going to be on solid ground. Now, driveway aprons and culvert bridges, if there's anything to take away from this one, is it should flare. It should flare way out at the public roadway. And what I mean by flare is go from the width of the driveway which we'll talk about here in a minute, and flare out at the, at the roadway so that there's plenty of turnability as you come into that. That's a term I just came up with, but it sounds good, doesn't it? I would suggest a minimum, a minimum of a 30-foot flare. 30-foot flare, 40 feet if possible. That way when someone is, uh, let's do a hypothetical, you're having a... Uh, a large 53-foot tractor trailer delivering trusses for your new dream home. And they come there and you've only put in like a little 20-foot 20 20 foot apron and a skinny driveway, kind of like where Maestro and I are right now. 
and all of a sudden they're having to pull in or drive back in, that's going to be a tough road, especially, especially if your new dream property is off of a small county road. And that county road has really soft shoulders because it's been raining. The drainage ditches are kind of full of water. And there's no way in heck that a big rig like that, especially with a front end swing as they're trying to back in, is going to be able to do that reasonably without either getting themselves stuck or destroying, absolutely destroying your skinny little apron and certainly the, the road ditch. So remember to flare that thing out. A great, great deal. And when you have your, whether your property you got has a culvert underneath it, maybe it's just a ditch and you're having to build over the top of it, make sure that you have a minimum of six to eight inches of concrete or really compact road base and gravel going over the culvert itself. Don't try to dam up that road drainage. Make sure that a culvert goes underneath it and that it's draining properly with a little bit of slope. Now, one of the things past the apron is the driveway itself. Depending on your checkbook, how much, you, how much you're planning on spending here, this is a very big investment, but a very important investment once you get past the apron. And that is a driveway that has been scraped off, graded, and then graveled correctly. And when I say graveled correctly, a nice four to six inch base of road base or crusher run or whatever you guys call it where you live. And then a two to three inch top dressing of a three quarter crushed gravel. Do not in any circumstances use round river rock gravel when it comes to a driveway. <laughs> I showed you that little short not too long ago on YouTube. And that thing is uh, horrendous to walk on and certainly to drive on. Now remember, do the investment. And this is something that is really easy when it comes to DIY stuff. I mean, you can go rent a little ride-on roller and you can roll those things yourself after the delivery comes in. Transfer truck after transfer truck can bring this stuff in and put it down. Then you can get yourself some power equipment or a whole lot of people and grade it out correctly and then roll it. It is very easy to do and it's very satisfying and you know that it's been done right from the very get-go. Now you'll see some things on uh, social platforms, especially if you have a, a property that you've bought that's kind of steep and you're having to put a driveway in that is kind of uh, serpentine to get up to wherever your building site might be. So you might want to consider putting some kind of geodesic grid underneath your your driveway gravels, and that will tend to hold and stabilize them even more and make it very hard for them to get washed out. Remember drainage when you're putting that driveway in? Drainage on both sides if needed, especially if you're kind of flat, but if you're hilly, certainly the uphill side. That way, the thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars that you're putting into this driveway, big ass storm or big thaw or something, doesn't wash it out. So you're going to need a culvert that is probably on the uphill side and a minimum of probably 12 inches deep with several culverts going across the driveway if you're on a hill and evacuating that water safely without washing that driveway away. 
Oh my God, what a waste of money. It really, that, whew. You know, those culverts can be corrugated, the plastic ABS type of corrugated. They can be big metal ones or they can be concrete ones. Depending on what your skill level is, most DIYers tend to stand with, stay with the corrugated plastic just for maneuverability. You know, a couple people can put those things into place, bury them to depth, slope them correctly, and then put a rock dam around that area so that the water is directed in there. And then you cover the culvert back up and recompact the whole area. Remember, several inches of gravel, a road base goes over those culverts, several inches, not just a couple inches. Uh, you'll end up crushing it down and crushing through those corrugated ones. And you don't want to have to drive over the metal and the concrete ones either. You know, it's just not what they're made for. So number two would be the driveway width. And here I see shortcuts being taken, probably because contractors were the ones responsible for putting these in to get in and build your home or build the home. And they didn't really care about the width size. I really encourage you to go to a width that is more like 18 feet and not the, the width of a dump truck, which is most of the time the only width that contractors put in. They just bring in the transfer trucks, they have them dump them and they grade it out and that's the driveway. And a lot of people just go, okay, that's our driveway. It doesn't have to be that way. You can do another half a width of that and have a nice 18 foot driveway, enough for two cars to pass on the driveway, uh, enough for a big piece of equipment to get in and be safely on a nice firm surface. You know, because not everybody's the greatest backers, so they may need to play a little bit. They may need to, to make a turn as they're backing in with those big trusses, and they be nice to have that width there. I'll tell you what, where I'm at right now, the 12-foot gravel driveway is probably less than three inches thick. It really is. Maybe four, but I doubt it. And it has rained so much lately that standing water and ponding are right at the driveway level. You can't walk off this driveway right now without stepping off into ponding water that's probably three to four inches deep. And at the very least, the very shallowest is sloppy, sloppy mud. And that just doesn't, it doesn't allow for any room for error. And if you look at where I'm at, the, the building site of where I'm at, there's mud and debris and everything all over the place because vehicles have had to get off of that skinny little driveway to park because there's more than one vehicle and it's tracked in mud and it's just ruined. Another thing I really suggest is not just driveway width, but look up as well. How much vertical relief are you gonna need to uh, safely have larger vehicles or RVs or something come in to that driveway? A lot of times, we tend to not look up and we're just driving our typical everyday vehicle. And it, it really makes sense to look up and clear off some uh, crossing branches or take out uh, dead or dying trees. And also think about where the utility line location should be considered when you're doing all this. I, like I said before, I really would suggest an 18 to 20 foot driveway width if possible with proper materials and compaction. Lastly, on driveway width and installation is to crown the driveway. Try to attain a one degree slope from the center of the driveway out to the sides, mainly for drainage. Because once you compact it down and you gravel it, 
it will help for water to ease away from the center of the driveway and go to the drainage slots that you've created. Number three, and although I put it number three as far as importance, boy, there's some times where that thing goes from three to one, depending on what's going on on your property. And that is parking. Often one of the single biggest misses folks make is underestimating parking depths and widths. You can plan according to all construction vehicles and all other equipment present at one time to determine how much parking area you're going to need to create. I use the place where I'm at again as an example. I mean, the people that live here, they have to park bumper to bumper in a single line because they can't get off the driveway. They can't get off the gravel and there's no parking other than one RV that they have that they've graveled a slot in for. Otherwise, you're out in the mud. And I'm talking you're in mud that's six to eight inches deep. And that, that is not just a healthy place to get out and walk around. It really isn't. So how much do you need? Well, as much as you can possibly make. And I think it depends on available space. You know, whether you have a hillside or a flat piece of ground or whatever. And also the soil composition. You know, are you going to be digging in two inches of dirt and everything else is solid rock? Or do you have, you know, diggable soils that can be pushed around and cleared out? Maybe you have to put a small retaining wall in and then gravel up to it. But the more you can create, the better. And certainly for the long-term parking capabilities, once you occupy, you have visitors. But I always try to judge it on when those roof trusses get delivered. Some of the longest, longest trucks that are going to be needed to get up your driveway and be able to park safely so they can crane those trusses into place. That's, that's what I want you to judge it on. So uh, a single narrow 12-foot driveway leading up to a two-car garage apron is really undersized for a rural piece of property. And it will show you, it will show you in your face at one time or another. You know, the ability to back out of your garage and then turn around easily is the minimum goal, the bare minimum goal. Think bigger, think more, more space. The ability to make a complete circle up there is really a great goal. So let's move on to number four. How about clearing some of the land, grading your home site, and the views that might possibly be coming into play? I am sure many folks walk their land a hundred times after they buy it. This is expected. I mean, you're excited about owning a piece of property now. Home sites are chosen. They're canceled. And another one's chosen. It's canceled. And you may go back and forth staking and flagging, you know, a dozen times. I know I sure would because it's brand new to you. And you don't know what you don't know until you go out and actually experience it. Some things to consider when it comes to clearing and grading and especially this is for a slopey land, is clearing things off. What are you going to do with that stuff that you're clearing, especially wood and debrushing? I'll tell you what, where I'm at right now in Mississippi, you can't run from this property to another property without either sinking or getting absolutely torn to pieces by briar and saplings. It's just not possible. It's that thick. And if you don't believe me, check out the channel this, uh, this week and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. And this is January, you know, this is January of 2023. We're in the middle of winter 
and it's still so thick. I can't imagine what it looks like when everything's leafed out. So tree removal, making sure that you stay within your purview and skill set. And then what are you going to do with that wood? Is the wood big enough where you can have it lumbered and milled? Or is it just stuff that you need to make a brush pile out of and burn? Or do you need to have a forestry mulcher come in and mulch the whole area, which is becoming very, very popular? And any view preservation or elimination. Now I know, I know what you're thinking. Wait, what? Eliminate views, coach? Well, check out the episode I did a couple years ago about views, either on the channel or on the podcast. Views aren't always good. There are many times on many pieces of property, both suburbia and rural, that some views need to be uh, eliminated. Many times we get a great piece of land. It is, <laughs> and at the time it is our absolute nirvana. We have found paradise. Then, six months down the road, just about the time you're starting to build, your neighbor down the street moves in on the property adjacent to you, and they decide to turn it into a trash pit, a junkyard, a pig farm, or whatever, you know, a bunch of junker cars stacked up and parted out and pieced up and cut up. That's probably not something that you want to look at. And you couldn't have predicted that one now, could you? So sometimes views need to be curbed and corrected. Hence, landscaping comes into play again. Is it something that you need to plant up immediately and get things started? Or is it something that you need to uh, put up hardscape to actually eliminate the view? Yeah, you'll, you'll find out. You know, thinning and removing certain trees, controlling natural brush that you have on the property, within reason, of course, at first can really open your eyes to concerns like ugly views, concerns as far as uh, uh, land erosion, uh, big boulders that have to be moved where you thought your house was going to go and you didn't know it until you cleared all the brush away, you know, and opens your eyes to some potentials that you didn't see initially. The other thing is, especially if you're in a hilly type of area, really consider water runoff in this area as well. Do you need a circular diversion from above the hill and run drainage around the area that you're planning on putting your home? Things like ditches, French drains. If you're on a flatter area, do you need to, do you need to run everything to a sump, a mechanical sump once the power's in and then pump the water out of the area so that it remains somewhat dry and usable? You know, taking those kinds of steps right out of the gate can really extend and make job sites much more manageable, much more neater, and easier to be in, which in turn extends the workability days every year while your house is being built or your cabin is being built. The workability days, many days, weeks, and even months because you don't have a, a mud pit up there that has been created from a spring thaw or heavy-duty rain washdown, etc. You've thought it far enough ahead to where your, your land is controlled now. You're starting to domesticate it, and you've moved around a lot of dirt and other stuff in order to put your dream house there, but that disturbance of the soils and the grasses and the trees and everything else, you have to restabilize that area before you move on. Another thing that's going to have to be considered is utilities. On a pole or underground, two biggest questions. 
If you can, underground is certainly more visually appealing than having poles go up a driveway area. It will last forever and is kind of DIY friendly. I mean, go rent yourself a trencher, trench it down to depth if you can, put down the conduit, marking tape, pull ropes in the, in the conduit. So call the utility company and bring it in, bring it up to a, a post up by the house where building is going to be going on. That's really all that is necessary. You probably have to pull a permit. Now poles can be placed DIY as well. You just need an auger to sink them in and follow the guidelines of your local authorities, your city, your county, whatever it is, or the utility company advice itself. Okay, last one, number five. Take it from me in the personal experience as a contractor. Job sites are prime locations for thieves. So number five is site security. I say this because I had an episode many, many years ago where I had a job site in a new development, a new piece of land for my customer. It wasn't a big piece of land. It was only about, a, I don't know, a quarter acre, but their custom house went on it. And I was there landscaping the front and back. And every night I would put everything in the garage. They had not moved in yet. We were putting the landscaping in before they moved in. And lo and behold, someone broke into the house through the back. They were trying to take the stoves, the refrigerators, and they took about $6,000 worth of my tools and job site materials in one night. Yeah, I never saw those things again. But job site security, do not rely just on a gate at the bottom of your driveway as your security. That trespass security is, it's great for vehicles, chances are, but it does nothing for on foot security. So consider cameras, trail cameras, any of the cameras you can get online type of stuff. Lighting, you can have uh, solar lighting that you can put up and make the place not necessarily look like the Vegas Strip. I wouldn't, I'm not going to say that. But at the same time, you want to be able to capture faces if you do become a victim. Give the guys in blue some type of some type of springboard that they can launch an investigation based on face, etc. Remember, you're out in rural areas, and oftentimes the police and sheriff's departments, they know the thieves in the county areas. They know who they are. They know what they look like. So have cameras at the driveway. Have cameras at the job site or at the cabin. And the other thing is, is don't keep the same routines, especially if you've hired somebody. You know, tell the guys to show up at nine o'clock one day, show up at eight o'clock the next, leave early, come in, you know, stay late one day and really mix up the, mix up the schedule. It really throws the thieves off their confidence of success type of game. Other than that, there's really, you know, if someone's going to steal something, someone's going to steal something, but take efforts. Most of the time people, they're out on their dream properties. They don't think anything is going to happen to them, including some contractors. Remember you fell in love with this land and for reasons only you can describe. Develop it right the first time and consider immediate needs, first year needs, each subsequent stage of development year after year from then on. Don't go on the cheap. The cheap will always come back to bite you. Raw land development is a heck of a daunting task, but if thought out well from the get-go, you will have that dream property that causes those stare at the ceiling nights in bed, but in a good way. You've actually landed the American dream. Now you want to take that dream and keep it a good dream and not a nightmare by shortcutting yourself. It can also raise the enjoyment meter a lot and reduce that stressometer 
down quite a bit. It really can. That's what I have for you guys today. I hope you picked up a little something there. Not everybody has raw land, but a lot of people do, and a lot of people are going to. So remember to do it right that first time. Think it out. Design it out. And make sure that when you're designing it out that your thoughts get conveyed to an architect or to a contractor, and you got to insist. They may say, ah, you don't, need, you don't need anything that big. Well, you just have to insist. You have to tell them, well, this is what I want. Can you do it for me or not? And be firm, be fair, but you're writing the check. So it really shouldn't matter to them what you want. They just want to get in and get it done and hopefully have a satisfied customer. Okay, check out the channel this week. I'm going to be covering this with a lot more pictures. And make sure you check out our plant of the week. I'm not sure what it is. I'll have to ask Maestro. Anyway, hey guys, whatever you're doing, wherever you're going, I'm really thankful that you took me along. Hey, don't forget our website, youryardcoach.com. If you really need to have a little tune-up as far as educational and DIY landscape, I'll catch you guys next week. As always, to your landscape success. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Yard Coach Podcast. Don't forget to head over to the website at youryardcoach.com where you will find more DIY landscape education, including the free 15-step DIY landscape checklist, Coach Matt's ebook called Landscaping Simplified, and the flagship digital course, Homescape 1.0. As always, if you have any questions or comments, you can email Coach Matt directly at youryardcoach at gmail.com. We'll see you right here next week.